1: Don't let the action pass you by. Check if you're eligible for a free trial of in-car Wi-Fi at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. And keep the madness going. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. My name is Ariel Kestenbaum and I am the founder of Fair Meals, a 501c3 status nonprofit that focuses on easy, healthy, and affordable meal solutions for families of all walks of life. On our website, fairmeals.org, you can find free of charge tons of tips, tricks, and recipes that encompass our three pillars of health, ease, and affordability. To help continue to make our programming the best it can be, please consider donating to this amazing initiative at fairmeals.org forward slash donate. feeling at one time that I wanted to travel the country and I wanted to professionally develop at the same time after getting fired last year and I was thinking I need to be around my people I need to be around my contemporaries and I thought what better place to start than to jump in my sprinter van you know pack all of my stuff and head down to Tampa let's start to you know let's start out with the Super Bowl champions last year and let's dig into that relationship
2: Welcome to the GM Journey with Thomas Dimitrov.
1: And that relationship is a special relationship. My relationship with Jason Light goes all the way back to New England Patriots and even before. We've spent a lot of time as as competitors, not only competitors when we are both general managers for two of the very hot competitors within our division, Tampa Bay and the Atlanta Falcons, of course. This goes all the way back to when we were growing up as scouts in the league. We both were highly competitive, driven, very, very different personalities. Man, we both loved football and we just had very different styles and different approaches. You know, Jason was known as one of those guys out there as one of the hardest working guys, rolled up his sleeves. He was football through and through, rural Colorado guy and and he, he set the tone in a lot of ways. But as we were growing through this business together, we worked together, we were competitors, and you could tell there was always a little bit of fun competition there. Prior to sitting in that general manager spot, we were competing as scouts trying to get to the general manager spot. And that's where a lot of competition comes in this league. So you're always looking at your your competitors as they make their move toward being general managers. And it's it's a very, very interesting part of our, our personality and our relationship together. We started it off when I got down to Tampa, man. We spent time at Burns Steakhouse, one of the best steakhouses in the world. One of the best, honestly, one of the best wine cellars worldwide. We spent a great evening there with a, a few great people. We had David Cantor there as an agent. We had Bobby Stuckey, the, one of the world's best uh, and, and premier master sommeliers. He was there. We were with our fiancés and wives, and we were talking football through and through. And interestingly enough, Jason came through the door with that, with that Super Bowl trophy in his hand, basically saying to me, here you go. I actually prompted him to, prompted him to do that. It wasn't something that he did on his own. We had a great time with it that night. The next day we rolled cigars, uh, you know, in, in Ybor City, and we really took an opportunity to rekindle what was a really appreciative friendship and competition when we were younger. Now, that many years later, here's the funny thing. After all was said and done, and many, many hours together during this, this visit down in Tampa, we realized that we were much closer to, to being the same soulful people that we really thought of each other. And we thought, wow, we're not that far apart at all. And it, and it totally rekindled a friendship and a relationship and a, and a, and a, and a and sort of an admirable approach to, to each other. And, and uh, I'll never forget that. It was heartwarming to say the least. It ended up being a great visit and a great time. Check it out. Here we are, Ybor City, Cigar City, Tampa, unbelievable feel here, unbelievable energy. But the best thing is we're here with the Super Bowl winning, super, super recognized in this area, GM, Jason Light, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, the team builder of this Super Bowl winning organization. Great to have you here. You and I go back a long, long way. Who would have thought we'd be sitting in Ybor City in a outdoor think tank? um you know awning we just interestingly enough just got peppered by the owner of this parking lot we almost got kicked out of here but we're able to pull it off so luckily we were able to talk it through and you were able to pull some rank there by introducing (laughs) yourself as the gm of the bucks so that's finally it's
2: finally nice to be recognized here (laughs) (laughs)
1: that's that's exactly right you diffused the situation um so here we are I'd, i'd love to just have a really cool conversation with you, um, and just talk to you about life in general as a GM, where we're going, the future of the league, a lot of really interesting pointed questions. And and I would love to say, first of all, thanks for joining. Um, I say this, and this is by my own algorithm, you are the best football general manager in the world right now, and that's tough for you. You and I have known each other a long time, and you, you have a little bit of that humble side that that's tough to hear, but it's a reality. Until the season starts, you hold that, that reign and that crown, and I love it. I never had an opportunity to do that. I want to chat with you a little bit about that. How does that feel? What are the emotions that go through your mind a little bit during that time? But now, as you're walking around the city, being recognized, and more than anything, how does it feel to know that you achieved what ultimately you wanted to achieve as a GM?
2: Uh, a lot of... A lot of emotions i would say the first one is it just makes me proud for all of the staff in the entire organization working so hard all of these years to get to that point took some time took more time than i thought you know as you know this business takes some patience and luckily our owners had patience but just an incredible staff and also just you know you have kids, and it makes me proud of. For my, you always want to make your children proud, and so at some point, I can say they can say, you know, they their father was part of a Super Bowl winning team, at least one. But it's a very big thing to me.
1: So, so I mean, it's a great point. You know, we think about our kids, we think about our family. Um, there was a lot of there. You and I have had our fair share of getting our asses kicked by fan bases and media over the years. That's part of this sport, right? That's part of what we do. We know that going in, right? As a director of college scouting or director of personnel, we don't feel it as much. You get into this role, it's big. There's a lot of pressure uh, from a lot of different areas. When you were hoisting that trophy, talk to me about the emotions of that. Did you have a little bit of looking around saying, hey, there were a lot of naysayers over the years, questioning, like I got questioned. I remember in 16, we were you know when we won the NFC championship there was an unbelievable amount of emotion for me to look out there and say all right we we accomplished a lot more than you all gave us credit for where were you with all that
2: well the first thing i thought of when i was kind of spanning the the field were the players that have been here their entire career without even making it to the playoffs and it's been a long it's been a it's been a drought here and for them to have to hear me say just be patient with them just like we talk to our fan base just like we talk to other employees just be patient we're on the brink we're close and for it to actually happen to see levante david uh for one just a great player great person to finally be able to say that he was a super bowl champ mike evans you know the list goes on and on but that was the first then you then you think of the employees equally as important but the employees that have been here you know, for over a decade that hadn't even sniffed the playoffs. So, um, And then to win the Super Bowl is just the crowning achievement. It was
1: So you think about that. We grew up in the business as road scouts. We, call, we used to call ourselves road grunts, and we are proud of it, right, where we rose through through the operation and eventually became GMs. You, still, me, a recently fired GM. It's kind of weird to say that every once in a while because I think about it.
2: Get a 13 year run, unbelievable. You don't see that.
1: You had mentioned before, and I appreciate that. And 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 you've won Super Bowls in New England, a Super Bowl in New England, right? And we were personnel people there. You were personnel director there, and you were growing and evolving. The difference in feeling the Super Bowl win when you're at the helm, very, you know, that idea is very interesting for me to try to get my head around. Again winning an NFC championship is one thing as a GM and knowing that you were the co-team builder with Bruce Arians to put that together. I mean, brother, that is a huge, huge feather in the cap. How does that feel the difference from being a scout winning it or a personnel director to being the guy?
2: Well, it's great. Both, both were unbelievable. And when you're the general manager and, and I'm sure for the head coach and owners, it's, you got a. You have a few more battle scars than than they do because we we take a beating we and deservedly so for a lot of the things we've done the losses the poor choices and decisions that you've had along the way but they almost immediately heal at the moment and it's you forget about them and you forget about the receipts that you can't help but keep over the years um, and it's so that that rush of just that just going away and then have starting fresh starting anew is it's that's part of what makes it so special
1: i love that i love that so let's backtrack for a minute just to kind of educate those that don't know our relationship we go back all the way to new england we were uh coming up through the ranks around the same time i'm exponentially older than you not really i'm i think i'm four years difference, but we were going through the ranks and we were in the patriot paradigm and organization, learned so much from Bill Belichick and Scott Pioli about team building. Um, We both were very different. I mean, personalities, you know, we have different interests. We have different approaches. And yet, you know, we had a a great deal of respect for each other. And I think we both knew that both of us were aiming to be general managers and aiming to be ultimately Super Bowl champion GMs way back then, you know, the ideas. you go one way, I go another way, you hit a few organizations, two or three organizations, and I continue to do my thing and grow in this business. And um, the, the irony of all this is the very individual that you know helped your dreams come true, not saying it's all Tom Brady, but the acquisition of Tom Brady and how he helped you guys as team builders lead this organization to a championship is the very person that ultimately, I say this lovingly to Tom because I appreciate it, ultimately cost me my job in 16, meaning we lost the Super Bowl in 16. Would I still be in Atlanta right now? People often ask me if we would have won the Super Bowl in 16 and Tom Brady didn't do the miraculous things that he does. Maybe, maybe not, but it helped your dream come true. That is a really, really interesting thing. Tom Brady, for you and the organization since he's come here, what does that mean to you at this point?
2: It was, it was very gratifying that he chose Tampa when he was a free agent. It, it told us that we had been building it the right way. We had done the right things, had the right pieces. I had hired the right coach. All of those things were, were draws for him. So that was a win in itself. And then getting him, uh, along with B.A., to have a head coach and a quarterback which extremely important pieces of the puzzle, the two most important pieces to transform the culture of the building, not just the players, but the coaches, every, every facet of the organization changed because of those two Um, ultimately led us to the Super Bowl. Now there's everybody had their part. You know, we have a lot of great players, but I think that in itself was the wake up call that we all needed. And, You know, it's it's pretty cool that Tom Brady and I share his first Super Bowl ring and his last Super Bowl ring. So um, it's it's been it's been a fun ride to see him as a second year player win it be a be a part of that as a scout and then see him win a seventh in his, you know, 21st, 20th year in the league. So Uh,
1: it's an unbelievable, just an unbelievable um, accomplishment. And the bond that you guys have is special, probably second to none as you start processing. all right, I'm a big believer in, you know, as GMs, you have to not sit on your hands. You have to be aggressive. Call them ballsy move. Well, let's call them the baller move. If you look back on your, your career as a GM and there's really one move that you made that was the quintessential baller move, what would that be?
2: Everybody would assume that would say going after Tom Brady and that was but I would say talking Bruce Arians out of retirement to come to lead this organization.
1: Love that and you think about you think about Bruce Arians how important it was you and I know and we could riff forever about relationships between general managers and personnel departments head coach and you know coaching staffs vital there's so much conversation to, ha- to be had there. Where is Bruce in that? What is your relationship with Bruce personally and professionally? You know, is it something that you realize to have the right head coach as your partner is paramount to being successful?
2: It's, it's the ultimate factor in having success. I believe that we worked together for a year in Arizona. So we had, we had built a, a, a relationship based on trust there. And we became very good friends. Now, we, we get along great. He's like a best friend, uncle wrapped up in one. But we also argue well, I, I've said this numerous times. Um, we know when we disagree, we agree to disagree, but there's never a divide in our building. And Bruce is all about inclusiveness in our scouting and coaching staff. He's all about inclusiveness in terms of um, diversity, Um, He's taught this organization a lot of lessons that uh, hopefully continue throughout the organization and the league.
1: If you don't have a head coach in this league like you have with Bruce, it can be rocky. It can be cumbersome. It can be, you know, the proverbial pissing up the tree. I mean, it's tough. It's complicated. It needs to happen. There needs to be that mix. There needs to be a, a, a massive amount of respect, I believe, for your craft and you for him as not only a coach, as a team builder, as a co-evaluator for you, I mean, it's it's vital. And uh, you, you struck gold on that one. And when I was watching it from afar, I thought, really, is Bruce really going to come out of retirement? He's such a good dude. He's got a great stick, meaning he golfs his ass off. It's fun to watch. I don't know about you, but I definitely couldn't hang with someone like him. I'm trying. I love the sport, but that's kind of a hard time. Yeah. Trying right. to get there. I know we all are, right? So, okay, let's jump to another sort of area here. I'm gonna ask you three questions on this. Pre-profession, what was the most important leadership lesson that you had? Growing up.
2: Well, growing up, uh, great family, great parents. My father struggled with addiction, alcohol addiction, when I was a young kid. Um, unfortunately, my father passed away a couple years ago, but when I was about 12 years old, he, he just gave it up and he became a wonderful father, my best friend, a, like a great uh, mentor. And it taught me that people deserve second chances and you got to learn from your mistakes and you've got to be yourself. And he's uh, he's been my idol I still talk to him every day. He's an amazing person, and very proud of the man that he became and father.
1: Thanks for sharing that. Those are we all have some semblance of our you know relationship. I think in this business to our fathers, of course, at different levels, and it's wonderful to hear that. I didn't know that. I didn't know the bond that you guys had.
2: You are listening to the GM Journey with Thomas Dimitrov.
3: We'll be right back.
4: And if you put in the code GABBY2024 on our website, you'll get an exclusive 20% off your first purchase.
1: As you were climbing through the ranks within the NFL, pre-general manager, what was the most important leadership mode or or, uh, information that you gained?
2: I've been fortunate to work for some legendary head coaches, uh, Don Shula, Jimmy Johnson, Andy Reid, Bill Belichick, of course, Bruce Arians, take a little bit from each one, but one that sticks with me is the, the leadership style that Andy Reid had with, he always gave credit to the people in the organization, whether it's the trainer, the assistant coaches, the, the GM, the personnel director, the college director, whoever it is, and took the bullet if something went wrong and was the first to say that was my mistake that was on me it just made you want to give your best for him and run through a wall for him and i think that brought out the best in everybody
1: well i mean that's a great point right the extreme ownership idea jocko will whoever's out there talking about that in public that is a big thing it's easy to push it off and try to justify as we're moving through the ranks even as we're growing let's move into being the general manager as you are the general manager and continue to grow and evolve as a general manager, what is the biggest leadership lesson that you've learned since actually being at the helm?
2: I wish I could go back to myself the first couple years and not have the thought that I could handle everything myself and be a taskmaster and spend countless hours there and micromanaging everything as I got into it after a few years, you learn to delegate and you learn to trust the people you hire and put the ultimate trust in them. And I joke around, but I tell them my ultimate goal is to do nothing. You know, this is just running on its own. And of course I'm not gonna do nothing, but it's right now the way we have it, I feel awesome about it. It is kind of on autopilot. Everybody knows their job. Everybody has their role and that, you know, comes from Bill who we've worked for, so.
1: Well, so on autopilot is great, and you and I both know the importance of communication, right, during this communicating, even though you've delegated very well, and you have some really adept people around you, to your point, you can say the partnership between the head coach and the GM is vital, but to have the right people around you and your respective parts of the organization, Bruce on the coaching side, you on the the team building personnel side is really, really important on the finance side, on the player engagement side, There's so many important parts to that. I think it's, I think it's great. You've shown that you can have that and grow communication vital, which, you know, I continue to think about that where I ever made any mistakes, not ever made any, of course i made many, just like, you know, about making mistakes. We all know about it in this role. It came back to me in a communication way, one way or another where things either broke down or I took it for granted that everyone was, fine and they could move forward. And I was focusing way too much in the final years on my relationship with Dan Quinn. We had a great relationship. I needed to make sure that I did not pull away from the middle management group, the directors, you know, that was really, really important to make sure that I was communicating. And I learned that I maybe heard it, learned it a little bit in
2: a different way, but that was important. It's it's difficult. Something I still have to continue to work on. It's you know we won the super bowl but i have many flaws and it's always continuing to try to get better and i know where where my flaws are and it's it can be difficult but it can happen you can i learned that through my father you can work through things and become a better person
1: so quickly then go back to growing up i'm talking about youth through college you know before you got into the profession is there anything that you would have done differently? Would you have gone to a different college? Would you have studied something different? I'm just curious about those years.
2: Probably not. Um, I walked on at Nebraska. It was my dream to play Division I. Actually played on the freshman team, redshirted, and, and then lettered my third year as a backup offensive lineman. I was backing up some players that played in the league for a long time. One's a Hall of Famer and Will Shields um was not gonna see the field they were younger than me or my age so i transferred to a small school in nebraska Wesleyan and played my final two years of eligibility there and had a blast so i got the i got the taste of the big time i gotta really go back to i don't want to say high school but go back to small school and and be a, a, a really good player um again on the field as opposed to just a scout team player and it was fun it was great studied Uh, biology, thought I was going to be a small town, small town doctor. And I love uh, socializing. I love people. So I thought it was a good fit, but I got the opportunity to get in the NFL, which football was my passion. So
1: you had, I mean, growing up, I look back on that. Now that you're telling me that small town doctor grew up in in Yuma, Colorado. Um, We get to the big league, so to speak, as we're all working our way as scouts. And you always had a really, really cool way of bonding with everyone. You, could, you had a way of bonding with someone like me, who we were very different from style standpoint and from where we, where we come from and what our, maybe some of our outlooks are. Politically, we haven't had a ton of discussions about that. doesn't really matter. Um, but you could relate to me, you could relate to some of the older scouts that were so important to our growth and evolution You had a a way, and, and I don't know how many people across the country during those years would laud you for being that young scout who was very respectful, who would roll up his sleeves, you, at a pro day. And too many of the young guys nowadays, I will tell you, unfortunately, I don't want to sound like the old dude now, but, you know, they're sitting back. You and I know how important that was to take the lead, get up there. We were the low men on the totem pole. We would roll out the tape. We would measure. We would do everything we needed to do to make sure that we were doing our part as up and coming scouts and I admire that beyond Well,
2: I saw that in you. And as even though we worked together those years in New England, I was always trying to compete with you. Yeah. And you started by mowing fields and chalking fields and doing everything you could, working in the equipment room, um, and worked your way up. So you had a, a tremendous work ethic that everybody really respected. So I had to keep up with you. So Well,
1: you you I appreciate that, and yet it, there was such a feel around the league to, to lodge you even more that you were on your way and things were, you know, you handled things in a really proper way, your interaction with, you know, leaders. I mean, you know, you and I talk, we've talked about it before. 360 leadership is important. Not only when you're here at the GM spot, but as you're growing, leading, you know, to your peers leading below, which I thought you had a really good way of, of handling yourself and then leading up and your leading up. I thought set a really good tone for a lot of people. And, There have been people over the years who have shared with me, and I'm proud of it in my own situation, that we rose to the top, not as, you know, in the business all the time, meaning in the office all the time, trying to circuitously navigate and try to get to the top a certain way, that we did it from the core. We are evaluators at the very core, and that's a really big part of a general manager today, and that's something that, again, is respected, and I hear from people again and again how much they respect And we've paved the way, humbly, for a lot of those scouts who are now moving up through the ranks and becoming GMs or directors and such. So I think it's great. Let's talk about succession. As a GM, succession planning is very important. You have to have the right people around you and you have to think about next steps. You have, respectfully, an um, aging head coach, close to retirement or not. Who knows? You may go. You have an aging quarterback both at the top of their game. And you think about next steps, right? We think about some of the people and organizations in the business world, and we can talk about them in the NFL, the Bill Belichick's of the world, in the NCAA, Nick Saban, um, in in the NBA, Greg Popovich. They have been in their organizations for a long time. It's the the stability of an organization. We know that is really, really important. You are very fortunate um, to have an ownership group who had patience with you over the years and you've been very out out front about that how fortunate that has been for you to have those you know the glazers behind you can you talk a little bit about that and how important that relationship is and again some of us on the outside perceive it as a little bit of an enigmatic element to their their ownership they're not on the sidelines they're not you know beating their chest they're doing their thing how important is that relationship with you
2: extremely I have a good relationship with all of them. They're very open. I can call them at any point, talk things through, which they like. They never give me mandates or directives, but I like talking through things with them, getting another, seeing things through a different lens. They've, they've owned this team for a long time. They've, they've seen a lot of things. Um, they, I think it's very important. I thought from day one, one thing that I did right is just to be honest with them. About everything, honest with them when you make a mistake, um, honest with them about your um, decisions that uh, weren't good, and just be upfront about it instead of trying to cover things up and um, you know casting uh, a net that you can't get out of, or a better way of saying is weaving a web that that you know you can't get out of. Um, so just being upfront, and I think they appreciated that because I appreciate that with people that I work with.
1: I think it's a, it's a great point. As we continue to grow in this business, I mean, candor is really important. Let's be straight. It's only gonna be helpful for the organization as there's mutual respect and, and appreciation for what we do. And as GMs and former GMs appreciate the ownership for what they do, they have a lot on the plate. And ultimately it's their business and they can do whatever they wanna do. We, we appreciate that and, and respect it, of course. Which leads me to my next question is head coaches, get opportunities after fired to get another head coaching job or maybe another GM's historically are not getting another opportunity. It's it's a known fact for the most part that they get one shot and one shot only and they have to go back being an assistant GM or a personnel director or a consultant. It's changing. Trent Baalke gets a second opportunity this year. Martin Mayhew gets an, a second opportunity up in Washington, Trent in Jacksonville. Um, you have people like Bill Polian who thrived as a second-time GM, of course, and, and more. How do you feel about that? Why do you feel GMs aren't getting a second opportunity?
2: It's a, it's a very good question. Uh, the, I think Coaches have a lot of responsibility, obviously, and they're the leader of the team. Um, they are out in front of the team every day, and the team typically takes on the personality or Ken of the coach and it's different than some other sports of so baseball for example um, you still need a great manager but in football so sometimes it's ownership or GM will feel like it's time for a change um, maybe the story's been told too many times to the team and it's time to move on even though they've had success and then maybe a little bit of a drought but another team will take that coach on, in and that his style is maybe exactly what that team needs. I think they're just out a little bit more publicly than GMs are, and just a little bit uh, owners see the the coach out front. They want that for their team, for their culture. Don't necessarily see that with a GM who's behind the scenes.
1: I would argue that as well. I would agree and argue uh, with anyone who would suggest that you know there aren't opportunities there are general managers who have a ton of experience out there right now former general managers i'm talking jerry reese what he did in you know with the giants scott pioli what he has he has done in this league and, and his adeptness at putting together teams and football players evaluation etc cetera, etc cetera. you know rick smith formerly of houston i mean there's some really adept people out there who may not get an opportunity because that's not what an organization is looking for they may be looking for Younger guys, I mean, when you and I got our opportunities, we were in our 40s, early 40s, and that was the right place. It still seems to be that way. You know, it's it's happened at a couple different places, like Atlanta with Terry Fontenot, uh, Brad Holmes up in, in Detroit. Those are good things for the league. We love it. All right, let's 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 venture off here for a minute. Let's go to the future of the NFL. Next 5, 10, 15 years, just in general, where do you see the league going and where are we Maybe we we filter in and and, um, add a little bit of a discussion on diversity and such.
2: I think uh, we've done a, the league has done a really good job of starting to the uptick of minorities in in terms of head coaching jobs and general manager. A little bit up and down with the head coaches, um, but this year we saw several general managers, minority general managers, black general managers being hired. I think there's there's the efforts are rising. Um, we may not be seeing the results that we want overall, but I think the efforts are rising. And I think we'll see the fruits of the labor come down the road here in the next five to 10 years.
1: It's a really good point. So we start talking about organizations that are looked upon very favorably in that area of diversity and making the moves. You have a head coach in Bruce Arians who is just amazingly on the front of all of that curve. You as a GM are perceived in the same way. Your organization, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is perceived as that. Talk to me a little bit about that in general, a little bit more specifically what Bruce is about and what you're about and where the organization is and the hiring and cultivating of that talent.
2: One of Bruce's biggest things he wanted to bring, and he wants to bring to an organization, is diversity—not just with race, but also gender. And he was—we are the first organization because of Bruce to have four coordinators that are all African American, offense, defense, special teams—and then Harold Goodwin is our assistant head coach. We have two uh, female assistant coaches. Um, I have one in scouting, uh, our nutritionist. Um, it's, it's starting to grow, and we are all about inclusion, and we don't want it to stop here. We want this to continue to expand without, throughout the organization. Something that Bruce is very proud of, I'm very proud of, our owners are very proud of.
1: What was the question that you feared that I was going to ask you, and I didn't ask? <laughs>
2: Uh, You've always been very frank and very direct, sometimes no filter since I've known you. So I was afraid you were gonna ask just how bucked up I got (laughs) at the parade (laughs) from drinking, um, how many drinks I actually had on the boat. So I felt like we had talked about the parade before. I thought you were gonna ask me that question.
1: Well, it's a good question. So I'm not gonna ask you that question, but what has always intrigued me as the general manager and co-team builder of a great organization with a ship in the end zone, a pirate ship in the end zone, no, no doubt. And by the way, Rich McKay was important uh, to actually build that ship in the back of your end zone who I spent many years in, in uh, Atlanta he with. He left
2: a good legacy here. He left a, he
1: left a good legacy, but I also, I, I, I damned him so many times every time we were listening to that that cannon go off. That thing we were,
2: scares me every time goes It scares it goes the hell off. out of me.
1: All right, my question, final question. Have you ever gotten so off the wall, drunk, it's called the way it is, that you've had to sleep on that ship because you didn't want to go home (laughs) at night?
2: Uh, No, I haven't. The closest I came is after the Super Bowl. I will say that. It it, it could have happened. But we had an after party and uh, luckily I got pushed into a bus and... (laughs) We won't talk about what happened there, but uh, (laughs) pushed in the bus is better than
1: you navigating the back of the ship saying, where is the soft spot for me to to hang? I'm glad you didn't do that.
2: If the party were at the stadium, there's probably about a 98% chance I would have ended up sleeping on that ship. Jason Light,
1: couldn't ask for a better interview. Really excited about having you. Thanks. We're in the middle of a parking lot. We almost got ousted. We pulled it off. Thanks for your time. God bless you,
2: brother. I appreciate you, man. Thank
1: you. Thank you. Wow. I mean, what a great journey that was to head down to Tampa as my number one visit across the country and to do it with Jason Light and to rekindle a friendship and to put competitiveness aside and really have a soulful visit. It means the world to me. It's funny because since then, uh, Jason and I have talked a number of times and, and we both agree, like without being a little melodramatic about it that you know it is heartwarming that you can kind of rekindle and go back to what you truly believe is an appreciation for two two men who are really driven towards the same thing um, and that is to to be successful in the national football league look there's a lot more in this journey we're leaving from tampa heading over to new orleans and all the way across the country i hope you guys can join us
2: you have been listening to the gm journey with thomas Dimitrov. Continue to follow Thomas as he interviews GMs from your favorite NFL teams. The GM Journey has been produced by Alan Kastenbaum, Thomas Dimitrov, and Octagon Entertainment. Don't forget to download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. The GM Journey is distributed by the Eight Side Network.
0: Or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services. You deserve to treat yourself. So turn your tax refund into a U-fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited Plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's Unlimited Plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long.